Our text today in Ephesians chapter 4 follows Paul talking about the ministry of the church. He says that Jesus ascended on high. He died for our sins and rose from the dead and ascended back to heaven, promising to return. But between now and then, he sent back gifts, ministry gifts. Some were called to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? So that they can be the big, big dogs? No, for the equipping of the saints, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's the sevenfold ministry of Jesus. Number one, Jesus. He gives gifts, right? Number two, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, saints who are equipped for ministry. So what is Jesus doing? He's continuing his ministry. What, what is an apostle? Someone with an apostolic ministry. What is an apostolic ministry? Not somebody with a favorite set of doctrines, but someone who's called of God to go where there is no church and leave something behind. To go and plant congregations. Paul was one such apostle. Somebody who's able to plant stuff and it grows and multiplies in ministry. So what does an apostle do also? He also equips the saints to be more apostolic. Maybe you're the only believer on your job. But an apostle will equip you on how to start a Bible study in the workplace. Or maybe you're the only Christian in the neighborhood. Apostle will equip us to be an influence in our neighborhood. What is a prophet? A prophet is someone, according to 1 Corinthians 13, someone who speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort. Edification is to build up. You ever hear somebody really anointed to build you up in Christ? That's edification. Exhortation is to call up. Ever have somebody challenge you to, to a higher walk? That's a prophetic ministry. Build up call up, and comfort is to calm down. Everything's going to be all right. That's a New Testament prophetic ministry. There are some guys running around the country claiming to be Old Testament prophets, and they're running around rebuking people and making prophecies about nations that never come to pass. That's not a New Testament prophet. And so what do they do? They equip us as saints to be more prophetic, to be more edifying, to be more exhorting, and to be more comforting. Who knows we need that? An evangelist was able to lead people to Jesus. Philip was an evangelist, able to meet a guy riding in a chariot and wind up baptizing him. So what is their ministry? Leading people to Jesus, but equipping us to be more evangelistic. What is a pastor? Someone who feeds a sheep, someone who helps the sheep to fulfill the one another scriptures. There's about 70 of them in the New Testament. Love one another, care for one another, forgive one another, serve one another, give for one another, uh, be a blessing to one another. And so what does he do? He equips the saints to do that. And then a teacher, someone who teaches truth that we need to know. Some people are really gifted to teach who may not have all their teachings just right, but man, their, teach, their gift is just amazing. And so how do they equip us to be better teachers ourselves? Because we're all called to teach somebody, aren't we? Any parents in the house? Anybody going to be parents? You better be a teacher of truth. And so 
that's commonly called a fivefold ministry. But to me, emphasizing the fivefold ministry is separating the clergy from the laity. It's not biblical. Their ministry isn't complete if they do not equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And what is that ministry? Continuing what Jesus began. So in light of that, we will look into Ephesians 4, verse 17. This I say, therefore, because of what I've just said, I've got some things to say to you. He's an apostle. He's the man God used, his team used to get this church going and to strengthen them. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you, who's the you, the believers in Ephesus, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles or the unbelievers walk in the futility of their mind based on their personal prejudices, their likes and dislikes, their tastes and distaste, their opinions rule them. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart who being past feeling, having given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. That's the world we live in. That's the reason for all the conflict. Everybody's living out of their own minds. That's why we have to have police to keep order. And the more lawlessness will, will abound in the earth, the more laws we'll have to have. Right? God's people, the Jews, had 613 plus laws. We're supposedly governed by six feet of volumes of laws. And that's not, that's not including the policy of your HOA. That's how the world has to be governed. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him. I haven't been heard... I haven't heard Jesus. I haven't been taught by Jesus. Well, he gave gifts to men. And he gave some to be dot, dot, dot. You got it. So they're his ministers in the earth to equip us for ministry. You've, been, you've heard him. You've been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. And here's what the truth, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man. That's the old man, the old you the person that lived in the futility of their mind, the person that was governed by greediness. Put off the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now you can change the words to Neil Young's song. Old man, take a look at my life. I'm not a bit like you were. Therefore, verse 25, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, 
that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Who wants to grieve the Holy Spirit? This is a governing principle. We live in such a way to not grieve Him. What makes the Holy Spirit grieved or unhappy? When we get robbed of His blessings in our life because of our choices, because of our thinking, because of our allowing the old man to reign over the new man. It grieves Him. And He has sealed us for the day of redemption. Verse 31, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and gave himself for us. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to apply it to our lives in such a way that we remember it and that, Lord, it has an impact. Help the new man, the new us, to rise up and live at full volume, full acceleration in this futile world in which you live. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. How do you do that? You don't stay angry for long. That's how you do it. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. When the sun goes down on our wrath, we stay angry multiple days. We give place to the enemy. Benjamin Franklin said, an idle mind is the devil's workshop. But in reality, an angry mind is the devil's playground because his minions will send thoughts, fiery darts that will get right in past your shield of faith because of your anger, put thoughts in your mind that are not true, that will hurt you more, and will make you vindictive, spiteful, hurtful, revengeful, independent of God's will. We'll be telling God, speak to the hand, I'm mad. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Yvette and I are married still today. 41 and a half years later because of this verse. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath nor give place to the devil. Sometimes our conflicts in our early days, the sun was already down. So we applied it in reverse. Do not let the sun rise on your wrath. Sometimes I'd go to work real tired because we didn't make peace until 4 a.m., but I had peace in my heart. We had found a way to reconcile. We had found a way to agree or even a way to agree to disagree. 
because we are opposites. In the flats where she lived, we met a color uh, analyst who had these different color cards. And she had us uh, put these maybe 15 cards, lay the cards out in order of preference. So that laid out the cards in order of her preferences, and she made notes. And then I laid out cards in order of preferences. And her analysis was totally incompatible. <laughs> totally incompatible. Opposites attract. We're, if we're both the same, one of us is, is unnecessary. Sameness, sameness is lameness. Don't want to be offensive here, but it's still the truth. Adam and Steve cannot conceive. Unless Steve is really a woman. Pretending to be a man. All right, start over. Reboot. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer. How many glad we have former thieves in the church? But rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt communication, no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Yes, but I'm mad at so-and-so, and I got to tell somebody. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Well, I'm hurt. Is that corrupt? No, but if you're hurt, you're going to filter out certain details to make your situation more hurtful because you're out for somebody's sympathy to make you feel better, but it really doesn't make you feel better. You're putting a Band-Aid on cancer. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all, we say all. What does all mean? It means everything, right? Let all bitterness. I think the word all is implied for the whole sentence. Let all bitterness, or let all wrath, let all anger, let all clamor. What is clamor? It's, it's drama. It's conflict. Sometime in youth ministry, we have a kid quit the youth group because there's too much drama at generations. And what's funny is uh, suddenly the drama we had ceases. Like the old man with Limburger on his nose saying the whole world stinks. The problem is, is me, the man in the mirror. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Welcome to week number three of Unoffendable. It's our desire to address this topic um, because we live in a highly offended world. I mean... People, offended people, will jump at the chance to put you in a box. They'll categorize you. Well, you're just a racist, or you're just a communist, or you're just a socialist, 
or you're just an anarchist, or you're just antifa, or you're just radical right-wing, offended people, throwing one another into categories so they can shoot at those categories. Offended folks. My desire as believers, we shine as lights in a dark world. And when people see us, they see something different. People who are not offended, even though offenses are coming their way at a higher rate than they've ever faced them before. But we're like Teflon. They're not going to stick. Amen? Unoffendable, the danger of anger. Proverbs 35, talking about God's anger, said his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Number one, anger can blind us to its embarrassing consequences. You may feel with every fiber of your being that what your anger is telling you to do is the right thing. And then, oops, I cut off my nose to spite my face. Now I got to live with this face. Proverbs 12, 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. Will you listen if you're telling someone about what you're angry about? Will you listen to what they tell you to do? Or are you just wanting to dump on them? Don't do that. They know they'll be next. So they're tempted to not tell you the truth. You got to ask for it. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. Verse 16, a fool's wrath is known at once, but a prudent man covers shame. Prevents it from happening and won't broadcast someone else's shame to the world. Number two, our anger can set us up for more things to be offended by. You think you're angry now? Just keep on walking in it. You're going to get some more stuff to be angry about. That's the way prejudice works. It just boils like a snowball going down a hill. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Proverbs 14, 16. A wise man fears and departs from evil. A fool rages and is self-confident. Verse 17. A quick-tempered man acts foolishly, and a man of wicked intentions is hated. People with wicked intentions can be angry people that are hurt, that they don't have any friends. Well, they're running them all off. Number three, harsh, angry words can reproduce our undesirable anger, can spread it to other people. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You're already angry. Do you want to make somebody else angry? Do you want the person that made you angry, do you want to make them angry? I want them to know how I feel. Well, you can do that without attacking. Well, they won't listen to me. That's when you get somebody trustworthy to go with you to the person and work it out. Number four, swift anger can cause and increase other conflicts. Enough conflicts already. Slow down. Proverbs 15, 18. A wrathful man stirs up strife. There's not enough strife here, so I'm going to make some more. 
but he who is slow to anger allays contention. Some folks stir up anger like a good pot of chili. Got to put some jalapenos in this. But a wise person lets things cool down to get their composure. Number five, slowing down anger is a sign of great strength. Well, if I don't punch him in the nose, if I don't slap her in the face, they're going to think I'm a wimp. It's what God thinks. And it's what your friends think that matters the most. They know otherwise. Proverbs 16, 32. He or she who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Great restraint. It's my understanding one of the early lessons of martial arts lessons is restraint. How to avoid having to use your skills. Number six, angry folks are contagious, so we must distance ourselves. It hurts, but we have to, to protect ourselves. Proverbs 22, 24, and 25 says, make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man do not go, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. Who wants to stay free of traps? This is saying you set yourself up to be trapped if you hang out with angry people. Last week we learned that the Greek word for offense is scandalon, which is that stick in a trap that you pull that causes it to fall down and trap the prey. That's the offense. It causes us to stumble causes us to be trapped, causes us to not walk on the level of walking in the spirit, to walk on the level of the flesh. It knocks us down, it trips us up, makes us stumble. Scandalon, it's scandalous. But we set a scandalon for ourselves by hanging out with angry people. Why? They can be very persuasive, and they will impact your view of life. And sooner or later, you'll be chiming in. But mark my words. If you tell yourself this, this will give you the resolve to distance yourself. When they're done with being angry with that situation, you're next. As you listen to that mess, just put your name in there. They're talking bad about folks who aren't present in the room to defend themselves. Guess what? They'll do the same thing to you. Oh, they won't. Oh, really? Just offend them. Who knows? Plenty of Situations in life happen that are offensive, right? Accidentally run over their dog and watch all hell break loose. Where did that come from? Well, it's a silly joke. We've heard it, I won't tell you. Laugh, laugh at it, it was a good one. You know. Somebody ran over their neighbor's dog Felt bad about it, so he got out of his car and put it behind the neighbor's car. 
and forgets that he has to get something back in his house. So he pulls back in his driveway, gets what he gets, heading out to his car. He sees his neighbor heading out to work, getting in his car, and watches him drive over the dog. says, yes, I, I'm not going to be charged with a crime, right? Not going to have an angry neighbor. The neighbor puts his car in park, gets out, picks up the dog, puts it behind his wife's car. <laughs> for all the cat lovers in the house, I changed the species of the critter just for you. <laughs> Number seven, angry persons will try to justify their growing sinfulness. Proverbs 29, 22 through 23. An angry man stirs up strife. We saw that already earlier. A furious man abounds in transgression. A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. What is it that makes us angry when our expectations do not get met? When I expected the appointment to be kept? when I expected the dinner to be hot, when I expected people present, when I wanted them present, unmet expectations will make us angry. But if we allow them to make us furious, if we do not let that anger go, we will abound in transgressions ourselves because offended people become very offensive. And we will justify our right to be angry. How could you do that? Well, you made me mad. Like, okay. It's my fault then. Watch this. Anger is one of the most powerful human emotions. We must be careful with our anger, because though getting angry is not in itself wrong, while we are angry, we can be tempted to do hurtful things that we would not normally do. But here are three excuses you can use to stay as angry as you want. The perfectly normal excuse. I would control my anger, but sometimes it feels really good to lash out and hurt someone's feelings or break a lamp. It seems like a perfectly normal thing to be completely reckless once in a while. The not my fault excuse. Why should I have to control my anger? Other people need to control how they talk to me, and then I won't get angry in the first place. It's not my fault that everyone else on this earth does idiotic things and deserves to be yelled at. And finally, the defense mechanism excuse. I would be more careful with my anger, but how will I get people to stop doing the things that make me angry? Right now, if someone annoys me, I scream at them, and they go away. It's like the thorns on a rose bush. It keeps things from destroying the plant and my curse words and threats of violence keep people from continuing to do things I don't like. The Christian's Guide to Excuses. Wishing you good luck and great excuses. Ouch, ouch, ouch. Number eight. Angry men and angry women are not known for being wise. Ecclesiastes 7.9 says, do not hasten in your spirit to be angered, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. It rests there. It lives there. It makes room for the devil. Number nine, staying angry gives lots of room for the devil to work. 
Our text said, Ephesians 4, 26, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. He walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Lions are known to be king of the jungle, although they don't live in the jungle. They live on the plains, kind of like this part of Texas. This is lion country in Africa. They hunt for critters that are weak and don't hang with the herd. They hunt for the isolated hunt for those they can single off. They're not known for their great speed. They're known for their great strength. But in reality, it's the vulnerability of their prey that enables them to eat. I don't want to be vulnerable for the enemy to devour me, to devour my time, to devour my thoughts, to devour my potential, my calling, my gifts. Many people's creative gifts are being wasted on foolishness, destructive things, when they could be such a blessing to humanity. And finally, human wrath is not righteous anger. Watch out for the righteous indignation theory, because anger that holds on for very long quickly becomes unrighteous. You can be angry for a righteous cause, and do something about it, but listen to what the Word says. James 1.19, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man or woman be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So, my anger does not produce the righteousness of God if I hold on to it for long or if I jump at the chance to be angry. My judgment is going to be unfair. Who wants to appear before an angry judge? Who would like to be pulled over in traffic by an angry police officer or sheriff's deputy? Nobody. Who wants an angry cook in the kitchen fixing your food? Who wants to be waited on by an angry waiter or waitress? Does anybody want to know an angry Christian? <gasps> snuck, up, snuck up on you with that one. The series was inspired by this little book, Unoffendable. Uh, we have some copies out there, I think. Maybe they're gone. Um, but if, if you will read it. Take it, it's yours. How Holloway is blessing us. Isn't that awesome? So he won't get offended. Let's show our appreciation. <laughs> now, if you're just building a library, go ahead and buy one. But if you're going to read it, get it and share it with others after you've read it with people that will read it as well. So right from the opening, it hooked me. The book is dedicated to all those who want grace for themselves but struggle to extend it to others. Wait, that's everybody. You can choose to be unoffendable. When I first heard that, I found this offensive. 
It's the taking of offense, the very presumption that I am somehow entitled to be angry with someone that this book is about. Not only can we choose to be unoffendable, we should choose that. We should forfeit our right to be offended because in reality, as believers, we don't have that right in the first place. Our life is hidden in Christ. We should be the most refreshingly unoffendable people on a planet that seems to spin on an axis of offense. Forfeiting our right makes us deny ourselves and center on others. It's not even forfeiting a right because the right doesn't exist. We're told to forgive, and that means anger has to go, whether we've decided our anger is righteous or not. And he quotes from our text, Ephesians 4.26, when you are angry, the New Century Version, when you are angry, do not sin, and be sure to stop being angry before the end of the day. The Message Bible unfortunately has it wrong. We're blessed, those of us that speak English, to have a whole bunch of Bibles to choose from. Those Bibles that are translations trump the Bibles that are paraphrases. Translations are made by teams of translators. Paraphrases generally are made by one person who inserts their opinions, how they understand it or how they think it would give understanding. So if you're reading a paraphrase, be sure and read a translation. I like paraphrases to see what the Message Bible says about this verse. Well, on this verse, the Message Bible has it completely wrong. Ephesians 4.26 in the Message Bible says, Go ahead and be angry. You believe it? You do well to be angry. What? (laughs) But don't use your anger as fuel for revenge. So we're just supposed to seethe like pressure cookers and be angry because we have a right to be angry? It's going to come out somewhere. There's going to be an explosion somewhere, and it's not going to be pretty. I'm not saying to throw away your message Bible, but I'm saying you better judge it because in some places it's just the guy's opinion. God is allowed to be angry because he's perfect. He's righteous. We're not allowed because we're as guilty as the person we're angry at in some aspect. Someone had to come and die for our sins. We're imperfect. He's allowed to judge everyone. We're not. We're only allowed to make judgments in those areas where we have spheres of authority. We can trust him with judgment, but he's very different from us. We can trust him with anger. His his character allows us, but ours doesn't. And as believers, his anger is but for a moment. Let's pray. Father, I pray for every person here especially those that wrestle with angry and most especially with those that are angry. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus that we would release that to you, that we would let it go, that we would learn to agree to disagree, and if there's someone we need to confront, Lord, give us the grace to do it. Just because someone should know something doesn't mean they know it. Sometimes, Lord, we need someone to point out the speck that's in our eye. So, Lord, help us to get the beams of anger out of our eye and walk in fellowship with one another, confronting one another where we need to. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, that the relationships that are the strongest are those that have walked through offensive situations. I pray, Lord, for grace and fruitfulness. 
for everyone here in this highly offended culture. Lord, may we shine as lights of righteousness in Jesus' name.